Is China leading the world in a global retail renaissance? U.S. companies need to accelerate in this age of the digital industrial revolution, and unified commerce may just be the way. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. We start off our fourth season with an interview I did a few weeks ago after the Lunar New Year with Michael Zakur, founder of Five New Digital and author of the book, New Retail, Born in China, Going Global. While the coronavirus continues to cause global concern, Michael believes China is years ahead of the rest of the world in redefining the retail experience. And on this episode, he explains exactly why. Listen in. Uh, I heard you at uh, NRF Week a couple of uh, weeks ago, and you uh, changed the whole way I think about retail because on some levels, people are saying there's a big retail apocalypse and it's all doomed and no one will ever go to a store. And you said, if you really want to know what's going on in retail, go over and spend a week in China. And I was wondering if we, that might be a great place for us to start. So why do you say that? Yeah, so I I am a big believer that not only are we not in a retail apocalypse, but we're in a retail renaissance. Um, and I think part of the issue is there's still an old tendency for people to use the word stores and retail interchangeably. I mean, a store is a physical environment where a retail transaction can take place. But that's really limiting if you think about with where technology has gone today and our ability to make, move, and sell products anywhere, anytime, any place. I'm of the opinion we're in a flowering of a, uh, a new approach to retail and that the, uh, the stores, yeah, there, there is somewhat of a store apocalypse going on, a boring, middle-of-the-road, analog, past-its-prime store apocalypse, but that is not the same as a retail apocalypse. Nice. Um, and, and we can start, you know, like you said, if you want to um, kind of see where, where retail is flowering in its most colorful form and where I think the, the trend and the models are being laid for this global retail renaissance, it really starts in China. Um, China right now is, you know, in my opinion, probably three to four to five years ahead of most of the rest of the world. And, and yes, even in the West in redefining what new, what retail is. And, and it really started about four years ago um, when the CEO of Alibaba, Jack Ma, declared his intention to build something called the new retail. And the way he defined it and the way we define it now is the complete integration of online, offline technology, logistics, and entertainment for an entirely new value chain for makers, sellers, and buyers. That's kind of like a pretty audacious goal. That's like, we're going to take the world and put it under one bow. I mean, that's kind of amazing. And you were able to give some examples of that, right? When you were uh, in in one of Alibaba's supermarkets, is that actually, I want to take one step back. We'll get that in just a second. But what's fascinating to me is we're talking about a communist country. It's not a capitalist country and they're leading the way. And yet you would think that the way would be led because the capitalist societies have, it would seem have more to uh, gain from it. Yeah. So, listen, China China hasn't operated under um, a communist system for the last 35 years. Uh, let's make no mistake, it's, it's certainly a party state um, authoritarian uh, 
uh, political establishment, but it is by no means um, communist. In fact, in, in many respects over the last 20 years, China has been out capitalisming. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but I like um, the rest of the world. Um, you know, it, there are places in China where, you know, capitalism in its, its purest, rawest form um, kind of makes us look tame by comparison. So uh, the, the, the other thing we have to realize is um, consumerism is uh, a, a now a religion. <laughs> it's, it's a major part of Chinese life. Um, and so my first book was actually called China Super Consumers. Um, and that came out in 2014. And in that book, I, uh, I documented the rise of the what I call the, the most important consumer class since the post-World War II American generation. Um, you know, if we look at it roughly, you know, in 1990, you were looking at about 75 million Chinese with significant disposable income uh, who participated in a consumer society. That number today is around 800 million. And so if we look at, you know, from a consumer perspective, um, China is the marketplace of the world, not just the factory of the world. Which is why everybody wanted to go there. And then now they're starting to pull out because of a lot of unrest and different things. Of course, the health, we'll get to the health parts of, of China. But tell me, what what uh, would I see if I walked into uh, one of those Alibaba um, stores? Yeah. So, you know, when we when we say, you know, um, as you said, you know, setting up a, a definition for the new retail was a somewhat audacious claim to make. Um, where we sit today, four years later, is the vision has been completely manifested. So it went from theory and ambition to manifest reality. And what uh, Alibaba has done in, in leading the, the charge in that is they have successfully integrated all online, offline, um, and technology elements for what we call unified commerce. And so just before we get into an example, I think it's important for everyone to understand, you know, what is the context for this? And, and really what's happened in China and what, I, what I'm seeing around the world and what I'm helping my clients do is go from a mentality of omni-channel to unified commerce. Um, basically, omni-channel is a zombie concept um, companies who are still trying to figure out omni-channel are only putting themselves further behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. And what we really have here is unified commerce, which is saying we don't think about channels anymore in retail, and we shouldn't even be thinking about the term e-commerce anymore. What we should be thinking about are ecosystems and habitats. And so there are about seven companies around the world we're building these major commercial ecosystems, which have retail and consumption as their centerpiece. So if we look at Alibaba, we look at also out of China, JD.com and Tencent, um, to a certain degree, Apple, Walmart, Target. What these companies are doing are building that ecosystem over those elements that I talked about. And what the result is a new model for consumption and a new model for retail. That's what the new retail is. And so the, the most striking thing about the new retail, um, as it is practiced by Alibaba, JD, Tencent, and Amazon, um, was the rediscovery about four years ago that physical stores, physical environments matter. It was counterintuitive to the narrative for 20 years. We talked about bricks versus clicks and who would win and would the clicks put the bricks out of business. Um, and what really blew up 
was the rediscovery that, you know, even in the U.S., in a best case scenario by 2025, 75% of all purchases are going to be made in a physical environment. And in China, they're a little bit ahead right now. About 40% of all purchases are made in a digital environment. But that doesn't matter. In unified commerce, you're saying we don't care where the sale is made, where the lead is generated, where the discovery is done, where the showrooming is done. It's all in one bowl. Right. Well, and I want to so, I want to just build on it real quick. And so, so, so what Michael's talking about and what he he's had uh, is bringing out is that the with no channel that means there's one shopping basket, which means it's gonna not be one just for Instagram and one's for Facebook and one's for uh, uh, our website and our catalog and our in store and none of them talk to each other. Where it's that unified one basket, and why is that so important, Michael? Um, for one reason and one reason only. Consumers in China and around the world have one overriding demand today, which is spoil me or else. Spoil me or else I will go somewhere else and find somebody who does. And the keys to spoiling the consumer in the new retail are what we call the four C's. And that is giving the customer convenience, customization, making them central to everything that you do, and allowing them to participate in contribution to who and what you are. Those are the four C's, okay? And you deliver those through the four U's. Unified commerce, unified marketing, unified technology, and unified supply chain. Hmm? So it's the four That all C's. sounds easy. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's not easy, but it's certainly not as hard as it sounds on the surface. This season is sponsored by Springboard Retail POS. You know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from listeners, and whether they're selling from a store, from trunk shows, pop-ups, or just online, is that they want great, easy-to-use data. On top of that, they want customizable reporting. Well, that's where Springboard Retail comes in. Their best-in-class reporting helps you run a best-in-class retail operation. Higher sales, higher margins, and faster sell-through. Springboard Retail's customer success team will help you get all of your historical data into Springboard and get you up and running in a flash with a one-on-one -on -one personalized onboarding experience that's run by actual humans. And now it's even easier for you listeners to supercharge your business with Springboard Retail POS. Just visit springboardretail.com forward slash retail doc and you'll receive 20% off your first year. Now back to the show. So let's look at, you know, how Alibaba has done this. Um, Alibaba today has about 750 million monthly users. So two and a half times the U.S. Popula population um, shop in one or another of Alibaba's habitats in their ecosystem every month. Um, and all of those consumers have a single ID uh, and they have an app and they have payments all in one app. And that allows them, whether they're in a physical store, whether they're in one of the online stores on Tmall or Tmall Global, whether they're in the Fresh Hippo supermarket or a Sooning uh, electronics store, they are being delivered one single experience. And it's a seamless ride back and forth between the screen and the green. All right. So essentially what, what Alibaba has successfully done is if you look at where they've put most of their money over the last five years, again, counterintuitively, uh, most of their investments have gone into physical retail environments. So they invested in 
the uh, in-time department store chain. They've invested in a street-level wine and spirits chain called uh, 1919. Uh, they have invested in Suning, which is China's largest consumer electronics chain, and on and on and on and on. And so what they've done is they've gone in and they've created smart stores. And so they've um, digitized the physical environment itself and completely integrated it with all of their digital and online presence. So this is, and this is an important point, Bob, the, the difference between e-commerce and digital commerce uh, and digital retail is that e-commerce is simply a destination for information and transactions. Digital commerce is the digitization of the entire make, move, sell, buy process in retail. And so what they've successfully done is they've digitized the physical environment and using unified commerce and one basket and one ID integrated it with all of their online properties. That's really the key. Yeah, so if we, if we take, for example, um, I think that the, the best example in the world of new retail, um, it, you know, really making an impact is what we call um, uh, Fresh Hippo. Uh, used to be called Homa. They changed the name uh, to Fresh Hippo. And this is Alibaba's uh, on the surface modern supermarket and grocery. And this is the battleground and this is the environment they chose to show the power of new retail. And by the way, on a side note, it's not a coincidence that Amazon, Alibaba, Walmart, Target, and JD and Tencent have all made major investments in food and beverage as the tip of the spear in their new retail environment and their new retail models, right? Well, and part of that is if I know what's in the basket, I know who's in the house and I know how, how, how healthy they are and how much money they have. Mm -hmm. So I can also know their spending patterns, insurance, banking. There's a lot you glean from grocery, right? Right. It's a data super, super uh, center. Yeah. So you walk into a Hamas store and the first thing you're going to notice is before you get into the store proper, there's a semicircle of businesses. These are service companies. So everything from hair and nails to travel agents to fitness centers, um, all these service companies have a desk or a kiosk or an actual physical environment that you can walk into dry cleaning. Um, then you walk into the store proper and it, 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 at the very first glance, you're going to think I'm in a really slick modern grocery store, but you're just very quickly overwhelmed um, by audio and visual stimulation and your subconscious tells you, no, there's something much more going on here. And the first thing you're going to notice is first, it's cashless. Uh, much of China has gone cashless. Um, so your money is no good there. The second thing you're going to realize is all of the shopping is app-based. And how does that work? Every product in the store has a QR code, every single one, from a, from a bundle of celery to pasta to snacks to my favorite part, the fresh, food, fresh fish market. Wait, so, but, but, but QR codes are supposed to be dead. Aren't QR codes were yeah. a waste of time? I thought everybody moved right on to RFID. What's so great about QR codes, Michael? Okay, so um, the, the QR code was brought back from the dead uh, about 10 years ago in China. Uh, initially, the QR code was a technology that was used at Jap Japanese auto manufacturers um, to help with efficient production. So you're moving, you know, headlights are here and they're QR coded and 
fenders over here and engines over there. And the world thought maybe this had some kind of commercial ap application, but it never really went anywhere. What, what China discovered was the QR code through this simple code, um, you could unlock a encyclopedia's worth of information simply using that code. And so not only in the purchase atmosphere, but the QR code runs everything in China, right? So the most ubiquitous symbol you're going to see in China is the QR code. They're everywhere. They are in stores. They are in restaurants. They are on the sides of bus stops. Um, they're used for everything from ordering dinner, booking movie tickets. They're used for CRM. So the QR code in some ways actually is the grease that um, uh, wheels the, uh, the Chinese economy. And that so plays now, in with the seafood. I interrupted you in the middle of your story about one place you really liked was on the seafood. Yeah. So um, you go into the, their little seafood section and, well, little seafood section. It looks like you just walked into the Boston Aquarium. Um, they've got every kind of fish, shellfish, literally hundreds of types of seafood. And every single one of them has a QR code. Now, my favorite is Alaskan king crab. So they have a giant tank of Alaskan king crabs and I can walk over there and scan the QR code on the king crabs. And all of a sudden my screen is gonna fill up with, this is the Alaskan king crab. It was caught 250 miles off the coast of Nome, Alaska, 49 hours ago. Here's the boat that caught it. Here's the plant it went to. Here's the plane it flew to China on. And here's how it came to our store. And by the way, here are all of the safety certificates, certificates of authenticity. So in a sense, they're giving you the first thing, a blockchain of authenticity and food safety. Now I swipe left and it's going to say, this king crab goes very well with these clams and these vegetables um, and these side dishes. And you can find them over there, over there, over there, and over there in the store. And if I want them, I go over and I click those QR codes and it goes in my virtual basket. I swipe left again and someone tell me, well, these wines and beers pair very well with this Alaskan king crab. Um, you can either choose something from our shelf here in the store or, and here's the key, seamlessly do one click to Tmall Global and pick the wine you want. We're not going to carry a thousand brands of wine in our store, but we have a thousand brands of wine on Tmall Global. Boom. I click the wine I want, goes into my basket. You still don't have a shopping cart, right? You're still not carrying no, a shopping cart. I'm just walking cart. around. I'm just walking around with my phone. Really important. Um, <clears throat> very important. And so when I'm done, it's then going to ask me, well, how would you like your vegetables and your side dishes and your crab, you know, prepared for you? And here are my choices. I can actually have it now prepared there for the restaurant in the store. So I click prepare and they're going to take all that food fresh, they're going to make it for me, and they're going to have it on my table in the in-store restaurant in 20 minutes. Or I can say, um, I'd like it all bagged and waiting for me at the exit. Great. How do they do that? Another thing you'll notice in the store is that there's a hole in the ground, and from that comes a conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt has hooks with bags on it, and those bags fly around the entire length of the store and your food gets dropped into those bags on the conveyor belt so that it's waiting for you when you walk out. Or I can say, I'm going to shop in the mall for the next three hours. Please have this at my doorstep at 4 p.m. Appointment delivery. Or finally, I can tell them I'm having a dinner party on Friday. 
Uh, I need to start cooking by five, have it to my house at 3 p.m. on Friday. Done. So when we talk about unified- Where else do you get that in the world? I just have to- Nowhere. Nowhere. So again, now think about what we're talking about here, right? Unified logistics. All of their logistics say you can have it now, three hours, this evening, or on Friday. And they have the logistics system to pull that in place. Okay. So now I'm done shopping. I've decided I want it now. I want to take it home. But here's what's also cool. They have guys walking around the store with carts of whiskey selections and fresh beer on tap. And they have wine vending machines and they have entertainment. uh, And you can continue shopping. And if you're being entertained by something on the screen, they're going to say, well, this video was shot on a Panasonic 450. And guess what? Suning is right next door. And if you want to go pick one up. So what has happened is they've completely integrated the online, the offline, the experience, logistics, entertainment into one whole. Now, here's the really, really cool part. The kicker. Each Huma Fresh Hippo store has a five kilometer circle drawn around it. And this is called an ideal life zone. And so what Alibaba has done from the time you walk in and you see the service providers at the front, you experience the physical retail in the store. It's connected to all of their websites, but it's also connected to the electronics store, the department store, the wine shop. And what you have in here is a completely unified commerce environment where all the services, products, and experiences you want are in that ideal life zone. That is the new retail. We, should probably, we could probably just stop right there, Michael, and have everyone go like, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to get there for the rest of us, right? Because what it sounds like they've done is kind of exploded the department store. Instead of it all being under one, one uh, roof, now it's going to be a town square idea that it's going to take up a bigger footprint and lock it all together. And, um, you know, yeah, it's but, you know that's interesting, but on, on the department store, remember... Um, they didn't knock down the in-time department stores. What they did was gutted them and reimagined them for what kind of a habitat the department store should play in the greater ecosystem. With that whole idea of being digital, not e-commerce and brick and mortar. Yeah, I like that. So, you know, Macy's just announced they've closed 100 stores. They're going to over three years. And, you know, other retailers in the States are having trouble. It seems that... Um, it's a long way to get to what you're describing. So do you think Alibaba is going to come here and buy up a Macy's and a Kroger and a Best Buy or something? Is that where we're all, is, is that going to become the new footprint or is something going to emerge no. from what they're doing? No, I, I mean, right now, you know, if we're just from an Alibaba point of view, um, they are, they are, you know, their big push now is their globalization effort. But, the U.S. falls pretty far down um, the list of places to globalize at the moment. So what they've really done is they've already successfully um, taken in Southeast Asia through their um, acquisition of Lazada. So they added 400 million Southeast Asian consumers. They have another 600 million Chinese consumers from rural areas they want to f- concentrate on. They're heavily invested in India. Um, their focus in the U.S., is more on the B2B side. And so they have relaunched Alibaba.com, which was their original property that 
you know, back in the early 2000s was a matchmaking service for Western buyers um, and Chinese factories. And they've relaunched it um, to be a global B2B hub to, you know, and this is funny about Alibaba. Um, their mission statement isn't to be a great tech company or to be a great e-commerce company. From the beginning, their motto was and is to make it easy to do business anywhere. And so where they're really involved in the U.S. is um, on cross-border commerce, um, on B2B, on business services, and on logistics. What is happening here is brands and retailers who are operating in China um, are absorbing the lessons learned there and figuring out how to take these models, these attitudes, these technologies, these philosophies back to the U.S. market and how to implement them on a global basis. Now, um, I'm, you know, where do I fit in here? I'm kind of a midwife <laughs> in that process, right? So, you know, I've been working with brands and retailers on their um, China APAC market consumer and digital commerce strategy for 17 years. Um, and what I really started focusing a lot with these clients on now over the last three or four is how to take that model and bring it here. Now, there's a lot of companies who are doing it on their own. A lot of companies need some help with doing that. Uh, but I, I think here's, here's the key. Um, you're, you're seeing it manifest itself already. So Amazon, you know, kind of taking a page from the Alibaba playbook and, you know, now they've got five or six spokes that are reaching out into physical retail. Um, you know, if you look at uh, last year, the CEO of Starbucks, you know, said in public, look, we're taking what we learned in China and we're bringing it back to the U.S., you know, implementing virtual reality and augmented reality into the stores, um, more of a pickup uh, and convenience culture. And so you're really starting to see that model spread globally. And, and what you're also seeing is there's a, a greater willingness uh, from what I've seen in my work, traditional brands and retailers who are now open-minded enough to say, okay, maybe this unified commerce, there's something to this and how do we do it? That's great. That's cool. You know, I, I was going to, um, uh, two things I was going to bring up is one, I bought something from Amazon the other day and for the first time on the left in the margin was this whole idea that you could choose what kind of businesses you bought it from. So it had woman owned, minority owned, LGBT. I'd never seen that until this week. And it was like, wow, what kind of choice are they giving us? And are we eventually going to say from blue state, from red state, from, I mean, you know, only if you control that, that digital platform so well, can you do that, right? Mm -hmm. But imagine what that tells a consumer is you have a choice here, which is really kind of what everything you're talking about. It comes down to a, a new way of defining choice, not do I want the red or blue one? It's a much more granular choice, I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting because I, you know, that certainly fits in a little bit with the customization um, narrative on on the four C's. You know, obviously, <laughs> these are experimental ideas. You know, choice is great. Um, choice overload isn't, and you know, I think um, retailers have to be careful about how they play that. It's yeah. you know, you want to provide that convenience and that choice, uh, but you also don't don't want to send your your consumers into paralysis by analysis. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a tricky 
uh, that's it, a fine line to, 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 to walk for sure. I would agree. I would agree. And I wanted to, uh, we, we've been really gracious with your time today. I do have uh, one more question I want to ask you. And, um, you know, it's on the front page of every paper right now with the coronavirus and what that's going to do. And, um, you know, on the one side, you can say, well, it's just this one city, but as every day, it seems to be growing. And uh, the idea that now it's on cruise ships and it's going worldwide, it has to impact companies that are doing business in China. It seems like, I think I heard you say that um, the real question is after the Lunar New Year, how many people are kind of come back to work? Wasn't that kind of it? Yeah. So, you know, the Lunar New Year vacation was scheduled for uh, January 24th to roughly February two or three. Um, it was mandated by the government that offices and factories stay closed until the 9th uh, of February. So we're right up against that. Um, what I think is going to happen is this. Uh, I, I don't think we've reached the peak of the crisis yet. I think, you know, maybe two or three weeks from now, uh, we're going to hit a peak of the crisis. And I believe once we reach that point, um, I think you're going to start to see some effective medication for the problem. I think it'll be contained, but there is going to be um, a lagging effect because there are factories that are not going to open this weekend or next week or the week after. Um, so I think the first impact is going to be on manufacturing and supply chain. You know, can U.S. retailers um, – ensure that their products are getting made and shipped. Um, you know, that's something we need to keep an eye on. Um, I, I think also what we're seeing is it's definitely going to have a short-term impact on brands who uh, have great exposure to the Chinese consumer. So I think one of the things that surfaced in this crisis is two things. One, just how important the Chinese consumer is to global brands and retailers. And so we've already seen announcements from Estee Lauder, L'Oreal, Apple, Nike. A lot of luxury um, companies. They're uh, not coming to the U.S. Company. either right now. It's just, it's... Yeah, well, the, you know, they've all basically said, you know, hey, guys, we're putting you on notice. Um, our 2Q and 3Q numbers are going to take a hit because we've lost substantial sales in China. So that's number one. You know, these, these global brands, um, you know, the China super consumers and the China digital super consumers are crucial to the success of these companies. That's number one. Uh, the other thing I think, number two, is that um, companies who you know rely on making things and moving things from China uh, are going to be greatly affected. And, and the overall outcome of this is going to be, uh, I think, the world really recognizing just how fully integrated uh, Chinese economy, Chinese consumers, and Chinese technology are to the U.S. and global economy. You know, the old saying was what, you know, back in the day when the U.S. sneezed, the world caught a cold. Well, we can kind of reverse that here. Um, China has let out a big sneeze and the rest of the world has caught a big cold. Um, and it, But it, it definitely highlights how important China is. So I'll, I'll just finish with this, Bob. You know, my, my working philosophy and the work I do for clients and my thought leadership for the last 10 years has been based around the idea that we are in the midst of a digital industrial revolution, that that digital industrial revolution has created what we call the five new, new consumption, new retail, new technology, new finance, and new supply chain, and that the new retail and new consumption 
is the direct result of three disruptions. The evolution of e-commerce to digital commerce to new retail, the reemergence of China as a global power, and supply chain and logistics being the growth driver for the biggest companies in the world. And so what you've seen here is that manifestation through this crisis that emphasizes that that is the fuel the world works on um, and that companies really have to accelerate, and especially retailers and brands, their entire attitude, operations, and philosophy around making, moving, selling, and buying things in the five new and the digital industrial revolution. And that's not a small order, that's for sure. My guest today has been Michael Zakur with New Retail, Born in China, Going Global. How can they find out more about, of course, it's backwards when I'm on my, my uh, um, screen. How can we find out more about you, Michael? Uh, go to Amazon to buy the book. And uh, I keep an open, uh, open line. So anybody who wants to email me, I'm at Michael at five, the number five, newdigital.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael Zakur. Um, so drop me an email, follow me on Twitter, uh, do a Google search, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to learn more. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks again to my guest, Michael Zakur. You know, I enjoyed discussing his views on China's progressive retail operating models and also his insights towards steps we can take here in the U.S., to implement similar philosophies and technologies. And I think that whole idea of one shopping cart that follows you around from app to online to in-store may just be the ticket to the future. On next week's episode, I'll be speaking with Carol Lehman, CEO of Exonify, on how the brain learns. This is so important when it comes to frontline training of your employees. Well, you won't want to miss it. I'm Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. Thanks again for listening. Tell me something good about retail is the podcast of the retail doctor. Visit retaildoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom and pops. As a listener of the tell me something good about retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit retaildoc.com.